Good morning, church. I just want to say welcome to church this happy Sunday morning. You know, this filming that you're about to watch has been quite a challenge for me. I've gone uh, through several days, many hours of setup in my backyard in this greenhouse and multiple cameras where batteries stopped and audio didn't record and the sun rose too quickly and it set too quickly and it's been challenging. Um, I'm not sure if that says that I'm very patient and persistent or if it says that I need a tech person to help me next time. To focusing on God. So there was a shift from, good grief, is this a derecho or what? It could be, this dog is driving me crazy. Anyway, I am excited to bring to you the word that I have today. I believe that it's for this season. It's a word that is in season and for our people. We are a place where purpose is awakened and developed. And I hope that during this season, there is so much that is being awakened inside of you, that you are digging into scripture, that you are spending more time in prayer than ever before. I just believe that there is a revival going on in the hearts of men and women and children in the kingdom to know their Savior even more than when we went into this thing. I love how in the midst of our suffering, our Savior can not only be seen, but He can be known. So I trust that you're doing well. It's good to be with you today. My family is doing great. We're healthy, recovered, and just waiting out our time in isolation, our time out corner until we can be around the world again. We miss you so much, my wife and I and our kids, especially our kids, they're ready to be back with their friends. The last time I spoke to you, I spoke on the fear of missing out on heaven and we talked about faith or rather salvation. So how are we saved? And I submitted to you that we are saved by faith alone. Paul gives us the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4. We don't have to wonder what the gospel message is. We don't have to add to it or take away from it. We know exactly what the gospel message is. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you also are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. You know, verse 2 says that we have believed in vain. They, Paul doesn't want us to believe in vain. That word vain is where we get our, our word vanity where we're so preoccupied with ourself and looking in the mirror and making sure that we look good to everyone else. And this brings me to the first discussion point that I want to have with you today. 
and I see this throughout the church at large, and I think it's a real uh, misappropriation of Scripture and a real fallacy, and that is that our faith is pure works. We believe that based on what we do and how we behave and the way that we dress and the food that we eat and if we drink caffeine or not or cut our hair or not or wear makeup or not or all of these to-dos and to-don'ts that make up Christianity for some people and it's all based on pure works but we know that our faith is not based on pure works. I think it's really easy for us to identify people that are works driven, that their acceptance and their security in Christ depends on the works that they perform, right? The works of their hands, the words of their mouth, the steps of their feet. There's so much guilt and shame that is, is carried into the throne room of God. And if only I'm worthy enough to approach Him, and if only I'm worthy enough for Him to love me. This salvation is a works-based salvation. And we already know that our works will never get us into heaven. On the other side of pure works, I think that's easy for us to recognize. What may not be as easy to recognize is this other side of the equation that is faith plus works. Like, yes, my faith is in Jesus. It's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But since I'm saved, I should do X, Y, and Z. That is a faith plus works gospel. No, church, we are not saved by pure works. We are not saved by faith plus works. We are saved in faith alone. Galatians 3.26 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.14-15 says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 1, 16, 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Ephesians 1, 13-14 In Him you also trusted, trusted, meaning you had faith. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to praise His glory. You were sealed because you trusted and you believed. It's not anything that you accomplished to create that seal. You are sealed because the moment you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwelled inside of you. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit until that day of redemption. I want to look at a number of ways that we incorporate a faith plus works gospel or religion or we approach God in a faith plus works way. The first way, I hope you write this down, the first way is 
keeping the law, keeping the law. Many of us feel like we have to keep the law. Yes, I'm rooted in faith, but I have to keep the law. I have to do everything that the law says to be in right standing with God. I have to live this righteous life and and be in the state of righteousness in addition to my faith. Keeping the law, though, never works. And I've seen some circulations lately of videos about keeping the Sabbath. And you're not sealed by the Holy Spirit unless you are keeping the Sabbath. But the word Sabbath only occurs a few times, two times actually in the New Testament. For the believer today, a Sabbath rest is described in Hebrews 4.9 as a moment-by-moment rest by believers in the Lord by faith. The reference is not a prescription for which day the church needs to worship. Instead, Romans 14, 4-5 says that each believer must be fully convinced in their own mind on the day of worship. Colossians 2, 16-17 says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink in regarding to, in regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are now a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So really, God doesn't care if you worship Him on Sunday or on Monday or Friday or Saturday. It's not about the day. It is about being intentional and setting aside time to worship Jesus. In Colossians 2.16, believers are admonished to judge one another in regards to their views on the Sabbath. This implies that there's no universal command for the Sabbath. It's we judge each other. I judge you, you judge me in regards to the Sabbath. In other words, you have the right to come up to me and say, Hey, Trey, I I see that you've not been participating in the Sabbath. I think that you're really dropping the ball and you're not putting God first. You have that right to say that to me. When When it comes to worship and the Sabbath, the early church, we know from Acts 20 verse 7 that the early church gathered together on the first day of the week to commemorate the Lord's resurrection. That was the day he rose from the grave, so they wanted to celebrate on that day. It wasn't about Saturday, the Sabbath. Now our new life in Christ has become about Sunday. But let me warn us all that the New Testament does not equate church worship and Sabbath observance. So church worship and Sabbath observance is not the same thing anyway. Many of us will try to keep the law assuming that it was from God, it must be good. And that is absolutely true. The law is good. It is a reflection of the nature of God. But the reality is you and I are not saved by keeping the law. How are we saved? We are saved by faith alone in addition to keeping the law. The next thing that we really love to do as Christians is we love to tag on good works. That's right, doing good works makes us feel more saved. But we're not more saved because we do good works. We're only saved through our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope that I'm saying this enough by now that it's sinking in and registering. There is nothing we can add to faith that makes us more saved. Well, we've got to make sure and do good works. We've got to help the homeless and the needy and orphan and the widow. And we we create a, if you will, a social justice gospel. 
Now, good works are important. I think good works uh, say a lot about what the Lord is doing inside of us, and I want to talk about how those interact. But we first have to understand that it is not by works that we are saved. If we are saved by works, then we can be unsaved by works. And at what point do you get unsaved by the work? Right? At what point does your sin become so powerful that it overrides the power of the blood of Jesus Christ? I don't believe that there is sin that we can overpower the work of the cross. I think He died for our sins, my sins today, yesterday, and tomorrow. I'm not saved by doing good works. I'm saved in faith and the gospel alone. This is the foolishness that confuses the wise. How can the gospel be so simple? Romans 4, 5 says, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. In other words, those who do not work for their salvation, but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly. So I don't have to work for it. I believe on God who justifies me even when I appear to be ungodly. His faith, his faith, my faith in the gospel, my faith in Jesus is credited to my account as righteousness. Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So, it's not faith plus good works. It is, we are saved by faith. The third thing that I see we often want to add to our faith, because I don't know why we don't think faith is powerful enough. But we we have this drive, this need to add something of our making to the faith rather than just listening to what Jesus said saved us rather than understanding the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 I don't know why we feel this need this drive to add something to our faith as if what Jesus and and what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 isn't actually true another thing that we like to add to our faith is repentance Instead of faith and works, it's repentance and works. But repentance doesn't mean that we quit sinning. Repentance means that we change course, that we turn our attention from here to here. It's turning from one thing to another, changing your mind, placing your faith where it belongs. I love when Paul was talking to the church in Thessalonica, in Thessalonians 1.3, and he basically congratulates them for repentance. And in this context, he's saying, I'm so proud of you for turning your eye from the false idol onto the one true God. That is repentance. A repentant heart flows out of a faith-filled heart. I, I love what Paul said. Paul said in Romans seven seventeen, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. Verse 19 says, The good that I want to do, I don't do. And the evil that I don't want to do, I do. Here is the author of the epistles that speak to the Gentile nation, right? Brings the gospel to us. And he is saying himself that he still finds himself entangled in sin. 
So he doesn't need to repent to refine his faith. He doesn't need to repent to find his faith. Instead, when we have a heart that is fully believing in a, a son who died for us, he rose again so that we could live victorious. Repentance flows naturally out of a healthy heart. The next thing is confession. Confession. We, we do not need confession and faith to be saved. Confession is what you do when something has already happened. So, for example, say that I rob a bank. A, a few days pass by and I don't get very far. I just get to, you know, uh, the beaches in Mexico. And I, I still have tons of money and I could live forever on it, but my heart knows that it did something wrong. So I, I come back to uh, the police station and I say, hey guys, listen, the guy that you're looking for that, that you think has all of the money, that's me. And I confess I did it. I'm sorry, I'm, I confess. Confession flows out of what has already happened. I confess it, I declare it after the act. So when I confess Jesus as my Lord, that's flowing not out of a hope, not out of, well, I want it to be true. When I confess that Jesus is my Lord, it is flowing out of a faith who fully understands, perceives, and knows what he is to me. Confession also, we know that confession brings healing. When we confess our sins one to another, and of course we want to put on this mask where no one sees the, the problems that we have and the things that we've done wrong, but scripture is very clear that if we want deep healing, if we want those roots to be pulled out, I'm not talking about salvation, but if we want emotional healing, if we want the deep kind of healing where rivers of living water flow out of and it's refreshing to not only our soul, but to the people that we're around, then we need to find someone that we can confess every single thing to so that we can find healing. A couple other interesting ones I'll just throw out there for now is asking Jesus into your heart. Asking Jesus into your heart is not placing your faith in Him. I don't actually know what it even means to ask Jesus into my heart. I think my heart's a little small for Jesus. I feel like He might stretch it out of shape. And furthermore, if I were to die of a heart attack, does that mean Jesus never lived in my heart? So I don't know what this whole Jesus come into my heart thing is. I know that it's probably just like a phrase, right? Trey, you're making too big of a deal out of a simple kid's phrase. Do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? But I think rather than use the cliche of asking Jesus into your heart, we should teach people what it really means to become born again through the Spirit. Do you want to place your faith in Jesus, the one who died for you? Do you want to place your faith? Do you believe that he died for you and he was buried and on the third day rose again so that you could live a life victoriously? Do you believe that he's coming back for you again? These are the questions that we should be asking the world. And let's remind them it's not a matter of the God of all heaven stepping into a heart of flesh, but a God of all heavens that I can place my faith in that changes my heart of stone and heart of flesh into something that he can use for his glory. Water baptism will not get us to heaven. Now the Bible does say that we should do that and it is a physical representation of coming into alignment 
uh, surrendering our life to Jesus. It represents the burial, resurrection, um, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus when we go down in the water and come back up representing new life. And I believe that physical obedience brings a spiritual release. So I think that we should get water baptized. Absolutely. That's a very important, fundamental part of your faith. If you've not been water baptized, we need to get you water baptized immediately. But you won't miss heaven if you don't have water baptism. How do faith and works interact? We know that there's some kind of connection between faith and works because faith without works is dead faith. But we also know that faith with works is not the definition of salvation. So what does this look like? How do they really come together, work together? You and I were saved unto good works. Good works flow out of my relationship with Jesus. In fact, I should look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday because my life with him is a process. It is a journey of me being molded and shaped and conformed into his image. Romans 12 too, not conforming to the image of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind so that you and I look more like Jesus each and every day. And it's true. It's true that I should be concerned if my tree has bad fruit. That should be concerning to me. I shouldn't use grace as a reason to have bad fruit for the world to taste. If the goal is for you and I to be ambassadors for Christ, then people need to walk up to our tree and taste and see that the Lord is good. Not taste and see that the fruit of our life is rotten. Not taste and see that the fruit of our life is rebellion. The fruit of our life is self-righteousness and anger. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is why works are so important in the life of a believer. And I would suggest that we take a good look at our works. It's kind of like looking at the fuel gauge on our car. We don't get in the car without knowing if we have enough fuel to get to the destination where we want to go or not. I'm afraid that some of us, if we did a real inspection of our works situation, we might find that our heart is very far from the heart of God. Healthy fruit, healthy root. It's important though only to do a fruit inspection on your own tree. I I can't judge the fruit that you have. I I can I can know a tree by the fruit that it bears, but it's more critical for me to know the tree that I am rather than the tree that you are. You see, I don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you. I don't know what he's working on in your world. And if I were to look at my own life, think of the number of things currently that the Lord needs to work on in your own life. All right? If I were to count my own, it would be at least two hands. But how many things is the Lord currently working on? Not more than just a couple. Because he's gentle and he's kind and he's patient. He's long-suffering, so he, he will pull something out at the right time and have me to take a look at it and examine it and compare it to his word. And then he'll put the mirror up to me. You see, he's gentle that way. He doesn't pick the rotten fruit off the tree and then smash it back at the tree. And so if the Lord is only working on a few pieces of fruit at a time with me, 
I could guess that he's doing the same with you. And if he's doing the same with you, then I should be careful not to judge some rotten fruit that I see hanging from your tree because he may be in process with you on that or he may be saving that for another day. And if I'm not careful, what I'll do is I will judge your tree by my own lens of conviction. I will judge your fruit by my own experience of victory. So the things that I've won and the things that I have overcome, I will look on your tree to see if there's a remnant of disease in that area because I have experience with that. I'm an overcomer in that. And I can see the diseased part of that tree easier than I can see the diseased part of my own tree. Faith without works is a dead tree. But even the best of works can't bring a dead tree back to life. Thank you for watching with us today. We would love after this broadcast to invite you to be a part of our Zoom prayer moment where you can hop on Zoom and you can go to the meeting ID shown on the screen right now. We have a prayer team, prophetic team that is there. They would love to pray with you and release a word of encouragement into your life. You won't be there with a large group of people. It will just be you and a couple of our team members. So please go ahead and make your way to Zoom immediately following today's service.